The story of Genesis is a powerful story, and I find it quite comforting in a way. There's a certainty about what God is doing that sometimes with all of life's ups and downs, we can feel like we lose sight of that certainty. Not that God is God and doing amazing things, but that he's seeking us out or interacting in our life or sometimes we lose sight of that. But there's a certain comfort level that we get from reading the story of Genesis. Historians and theologians believe actually that the story of Genesis was written much later than the founding of the kingdoms of Judah or Israel. And in fact, it was written in a time of intense suffering and hardship. The kingdoms of Israel and Judah were conquered. And the Judeans were sent off into captivity in Babylon. And it was there that they became engrossed in telling the story on Sabbath. The story of who they were and whose they were. And as they marched all the way to Babylon, they would have entered this city with grand gates, the Ishtar Gate, coming into this enormously beautiful city. And on that gate were inscribed pictures of the god Marduk. And Marduk had his own creation story. And the creation story went like this. There was a massive battle in the heavens. And Marduk warred with all the other gods and he conquered these other gods. And he set up worship. And he said, we need something or somebody to do all the grunt labor on earth to build the temple and tend the temple and do all the rites and look after everything and so we'll create human beings to do the grunt work to be the slaves to conquer the world and to serve us and historians believe that it was at that time when the Judeans were in slavery repairing the irrigation systems that ran all across the city, standing knee-deep in mud and water, laboring day and night, that they started telling the story again, the story that their forefathers had handed down. And they began writing it down because they knew that it was important as they heard these stories of Marduk. They knew their God was different. They knew their God was different. And in their own quiet, gentle way, they resisted their occupiers. They resisted their slave masters. Because the God of Israel creates everything, including and especially human beings, not for slave labor, but out of the goodness 
of his life. And there's a difference, isn't there? We can get stuck in this pattern of life as a way of achieving things. And even sometimes it's risky thinking about human progress in a certain way. Because we think that, oh, well, everything's getting better all the time. Technology's getting better. We've got battery-operated cars and bicycles. We've got governments and law and order and democracy. And, and we have all these things. And life is generally getting better. We're progressing as human beings. And for many, many years, Christians believed that. Because actually... For periods of time in the human history, things have been like that. I remember speaking to a British Army engineer in northern Afghanistan some years back, and we were sitting together in the chow hall, and I was asking him about what it was like to be a demining expert. He had spent quite a few years uh, disarming IEDs in Afghanistan, with very hazardous work, as you can imagine. But he said, you know, it pales in comparison to what the British Army dealt with in World War I. You see, this guy was a historian, and he, he had done his, his research, and he said, do you have any idea what those engineers went through? And I said, no. And he said, they didn't have any of the kit that we had today. They didn't have any protective equipment. They didn't have any technology that actually helped detect the mines. In World War I, they would send them out and, and in the dark of night ahead of a column of infantry with a probe, which is a fancy word for a stick. And they would move along at an incredibly high speed, probing the earth in front of them as this column of infantry was advancing from behind. And their job was to clear the way. And what they knew and what the infantrymen knew was it wasn't about detecting and disarming mines. It was about blowing them up. And they did it at an incredibly fast rate of speed with a tremendous sense of self-sacrifice so that this column could advance from behind. World War I was the single most destructive event for the church as we know it in living history. Up to that point, especially on the continent and in the UK, all kinds of advancements had been made in healthcare, science, medicine, research, social welfare was being created. And generally, all this was put down to people living in a Christian society. That for once, we were living in a world where people really looked after each other, where people loved each other. And they made governments reflect that. Politics reflected that. And historians and theologians said, this is great. This is proof 
that we're becoming more like Jesus Christ every day, that, that our life here in Europe and in the UK is reflecting this natural upward trajectory of the church, of society. People were going to church in droves. And then World War I happened. The scale of destruction and loss of life had never been seen before in modern civilization. And if you've ever visited, like I have, some of the cemeteries in Europe, and you look out across those white crosses, the fields of white crosses, it's mind-boggling to think of the loss. As a natural result of this historic event, people stopped going to church. And you know why they stopped going to church? They stopped believing in the goodness of God. Many people stopped believing in the goodness of God. And I think today we are still wrestling with that history as church. But I believe strongly in the Genesis story as a way to correct that vision as a way to tell the story the right way. If you go in your Bibles and you look at the creation story and you read chapter 1, it stops with what? The creation of humankind. And chapter 2 begins the statement that the heavens and the earth were completed and then God rested. Now these chapter titles, these are a fairly new addition added by the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 14th century as a way of dividing up the stories in the Bible. But I'd encourage all of us to read beyond the chapters the way the Israelites told this story it ended in chapter 2, verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. You see, when you read the story to its natural conclusion, humankind doesn't have the final word. Humankind isn't the focus of the story. Who's the focus of the story? God. And so you see, we're drawn back to the story of creation, not as a story of ourselves, not as a story of how great or how awful we can be as a human race, not as a story of human history. It is a story about God. It's a powerful story when you read it that way. And I think it demands something from us when we read it in that way. It demands boldness. 
from us. As church, a church across the nation and across the world, we are encouraged to be bold, to seek the story of God's creation in a way that hasn't stopped in our lives and the life of the world around us. But in a way where human beings don't have the final word. In a way where God reigns in every situation. Jesus reigns in every situation. In our lives and in the life of the church. What is the story we tell with our lives? Does it begin and end with us? Or does it begin and end with God? I think the Genesis story demands boldness. I think it demands imagination. It never says in the Genesis story that creation has stopped, does it? And the way that Jews read the story, and I would encourage us as well to read it, is that creation is ongoing. It's ongoing. Creation never stops. And thank God for that. Because I need more of God's creation in my life. I need more of God's presence in my life. I think the third thing that it demands from us, and this is oftentimes the difficult one, it demands humility and how hard that is. I can tell you from personal experience, I don't like being truly humble. It's not easy to be humble. If you've ever gone for a job interview, you are required to talk about yourself and what you've accomplished. And in many ways, we need to do that in our daily life out there. If you went to work on Monday and didn't do that, people would look at you like you were crazy. And yet, we are called to be that way. And that's where the boldness and imagination come in to help. The story of Jesus Christ as God's Son is a story of boldness and imagination and humility. And God knew it would be ever so difficult to conjure these ideas in our own lives without someone's footsteps to follow in. And so Jesus volunteers to be man and God, to lead the way and to say, This is what it looks like. To live your life for God every one of those seven days of the week. To acknowledge God as the center of your personal universe and the cosmic multiverse. It becomes easier to do when we just try and let Jesus do it for us. This story is alive. It lives. The creation story lives in your life and it lives in mine.
It's ongoing. It's a conversation, if you will. And I suppose what I'm getting at is, where do you think that conversation is leading you today? In the story of creation that's ongoing in your life, in this conversation with God, where is He in your life? Is He present with you on a Sunday and a bit of a distant memory on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Is He with you in some of the things that you do and not in others? Is He the topic of conversation for you with your friends and family other than on a Sunday? And this is not some kind of, I'm not trying to beat us over the head with a kind of, we need to evangelize more. That's, that's not what motivates me. What motivates me is the experience of life and joy and love when we let God tell the story of our lives. His way is good. It's the best way. I'm just going to spend... Let's just spend a few minutes. I just want to pray about that. You know, for us as individuals and about the life of this church and our future, what would it look like to have Jesus at the center of everything that we do? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Spirit of Jesus, we welcome you and your story. Heavenly Father, we welcome you. This story that's ongoing, we ask you to intervene in our lives. We ask you to be master storyteller in our lives. And I'm going to pray specifically for tomorrow, Monday, as a key moment for all of us to search that story in our lives. Holy Spirit, come. I ask that you show to us your presence among us and in our lives. I ask for breakthrough through pain and suffering and loss, disappointment, grief, pain. And I ask for a new way. I ask for a new way power of the Spirit, that you would lead So let me just open the floor now. If you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, you are welcome now, as we enter a time of the Holy Spirit, just to share that.